Welcome to Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And before we get to a phenomenal data-centric podcast with Kelsey Chase of Omni, quick shout out to our friends at Rippling. Rippling is amazing for payroll, amazing for benefits. They've got a great integrated tech solution that allows you to spin up or spin down, unfortunately, if that if your company needs to do that, new employees. But just connect all your web services super quick, saves a ton of time, probably like three hours per, per new hire. So we love Rippling. It's amazing. Also, shout out to the Cruise Tax Team. They're, they're working super hard. And special shout out to the Cruise PPP loans, the CARES Act Task Force. They are kicking butt. Right now, I think we're pulling data for something like 85 or 90 companies, like right this second when I'm recording it. So Cruise Team doing phenomenal work. Very proud. All right. Now let's introduce Kelsey Chase of Omni. Welcome, Kelsey. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a uh pleasure being back here. I know we did a podcast a few months ago, but I'm uh, excited to dive into the subject at hand today. You got to do something right to be a second time guest. Let's just say the, the list is not that long and it's it's uh, distinguished. So congrats to you. And uh, it's awesome to have you on now. For those who don't know, I, well, why don't you tell people what Omni does? Because it's, it's phenomenal. Sure. So we, Omni is an automated investment analytics platform for venture capital. So my relevant uh, for the discussion today, but just generally, my background was uh, I came to the startup world as a uh, prior corporate lawyer. So worked at some large law firms, including Wilson Sonsini and DLA Piper. And from that experience, working with investors and entrepreneurs came, you know, became aware of a pain point in the industry. And so what Omni does today is we focus in the underlying legal agreements that document all of these private investments in the startup and venture ecosystem. So kind of relevant just of recent, even with the subject today, talking about CARES, but just generally when the market dynamics shift as abruptly as they did, you know what starts to matter? Contracts. And these, the, the truth is anyone that's, <laughs> that anyone that's negotiated yeah. these deals knows that these, these contracts are very long, complicated. It's lots of legal horsepower goes into negotiating these deals. And so what Omni does is we, we bring those documents to life and we're tracking tons of legal, financial and economic data out of these deals, including some uh, items that we can talk about today. It's, it's like the analytics view I always wish I had when I was at Lighthouse helping as chief compliance officer. And I know our finance team really wanted it. But the most amazing thing, and by the way, you guys have this like super sleek interface. It's pretty cool. Like you said, I think a new web page out to me or something like that the other day. It was really cool. But uh, here's the thing. The single most important thing for venture capital-backed startups and whether they apply, they can apply for the CARES Act Paycheck Protection Program loans is whether they have basically crossed the affiliate rules for the SBA. And I have answered this question, I think 200 times. I'm quoted in CNBC today. This is like the topic that is on every single person's mind in the venture capital ecosystem. And guess what? Omni knows the answer. This is like a watershed moment, I think. It's phenomenal. I'm I'm just like, I couldn't believe it. When you I think Tony emailed me the other day and was like, hey, we know the answers to this stuff. And I was like, holy shit. You, let's let's get on a podcast with me. So tell Kelsey, can you tell people what the affiliation rules are? By the way, we're recording this on Friday morning. So it's very possible the SBA may waive some of these rules. We don't know. 
But as of right now, this is like the critical thing. Can you tell people what the SBA affiliation rules are and then how Omni knows this data? Yeah, I mean, such a fluid situation could even uh, change as we're speaking. But oh. uh, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, credit to some of our partners and, and groups that we're close with, uh, very close with the National Venture Capital Association that just so your listeners understand, I mean, they are doing tremendous work uh, trying to have Congress hear the voice of the startup and venture community. So just credit credit the NBCA for all the work they're doing. And it's through learnings and discussions with that organization that we really, I think, refined and focused on some key data points that Omni can track and bring to light through this, this conversation. So at its core, and I'm not holding myself out as an SBA expert, but at its core, and I'll give you my, my synopsis of this, affiliation really comes down to elements of control. Now, for those in the venture community, control is not a novel concept in investing in a startup company. In fact, you know, I believe venture transactions are, are founded and, and reside completely on economics and control. So control is just a natural element of doing venture deals. So outside of these circumstances, you know, not necessarily a problem. And I'm sure as these deals were negotiated previously, no one was negotiating these transactions with a view towards this, this information getting scrutinized for an SBA loan. So, but in any event, here we are. Well, real fast, the reason why is because you would never take an SBA loan because they used to require personal guarantees, but the CARES Act, the PPP loans don't have a personal guarantee. They stripped that out as part of the act for this specific kind of loan. So all of a sudden became interesting to venture capital-backed companies, but the affiliation rules, which is right where you're going right now, are, are what's tripping everybody up. Sure. So there's there's a few primary prongs of the the test and the analysis based on SBA guidance and, and prior case law. And it really comes down to control at the board level, control at the stockholder level, and then specifically around operational uh, covenants and restrictions that are imposed on the company. So effectively giving investors the waiver right or consent rights for companies to take on certain operational activities. So at the board level, I think we should just, you know, what we can dive into, uh, Scott, is just some of the data and can add some of our own anecdotes around venture. But in essence, uh, companies are, of course, controlled and comprised sort of at two major corporate levels, the board of directors level and the stockholders level. And there are different um, elements of, of approval and consent that both of those parties have. I mean, the board is generally in, in charge of the uh, business direction of the company and stockholders are primarily have control over major corporate activities. But tying back to this affiliation test. So one thing that we understand to be a key in point of analysis is does a particular investor basically control a majority of the board? So in an absence of, of everything happening right now, that type of leverage and right, it would be it would be very abnormal for one VC fund to control the board. I mean, that's kind of one of the tenements of VC is minority investments, and they typically do not take majority control of a company like that. So yeah, yeah, they're usually like at 20, 25% each, and they usually have one board seat, sometimes two, if they're like a major, major amount of money. But no, it's very rare for like one, uh, one VC firm to have, for example, two board seats out of three total. Like you'd always... The entrepreneur would always balance that out. They'd always have an, another independent or two independents or something like that. So it's very rare, like what you're saying. I, I'm confirming what you're saying. So so keep going. Sure. So in, in some of the other data points we can talk about today, I think are relevant just in the broader market scheme right now. I mean, there, there are significant changes happening in the economy right now that will impact venture 
and startups. So some of the other data points I can reference, we get really tie to the bigger picture, but back to the affiliation test. So what our data tells us is less than 0.1% of venture-backed companies have a board of directors where a single fund controls the board. So kind of to our gut check, it's just something that, that never happens. So I think most companies are not at risk of, of tripping that up. Although we do have, you know, we do have some, but it's such a significant, you know, significantly low percentage that I'm sure there's such edge case transactions um, that, that wouldn't be, look like the typical startup profile. So our data is saying less than 0.1% of companies have that. Yeah, that's amazing. So everyone's been super worried about this. And what you're saying is Omni's data says that pretty much everyone's fine on, on this this test, because I think there's a couple other tests, aren't they? Like some of the negative protective provisions, but on, on this test, probably almost every startup listening to this is going to be fine. Yeah. So this is obviously a, check with your lawyer. Let's don't take our word for it. We don't we don't know your cap table, but like Omni has the data on most of the stuff. Right. So I guess tying into one of the other prongs of this analysis is the ownership thresholds, and there's a couple different lenses that we can look at that through. Uh, one is do, does a does a single investor own a majority of the company, right? Do, do, which would typically enable them with special control provisions. And so, again, what our data shows in venture firms are taking minority interests. It'd be highly irregular for a venture fund to take a 51% ownership stake in a company. And so what our data shows is about 0.3% of companies do have a single investor that owns a majority. But again, those are probably out edge case type scenarios. So most companies, you know, their cap table should not have owners that, that own more than 51% of the company. So on that prong too, just on the pure ownership test, I think companies will be okay. It's where we get into the operational covenants where there's just frankly a lot of gray area. Um, and I think this is where the most concern is, as I understand it from, from the venture community and startup community based on the existing proposal for, for CARES. So again, I think stepping back, the operational negative covenants that we're talking about, these are contractual limitations that are imposed on private businesses by the investors that restrict the company from doing certain activities or require the company to do certain activities without a certain consent or approval right that can go out to can go out to a single investor, can go out to a group of investors, can go out to a class of stock. But basically there's these these covenants that apply to companies that give the investors you know control over the business. And outside of this context, again, nothing crazy or new in venture. This is a this is a typical industry standard part of the investor rights that VCs get when they make investments. But now we're in the situation where this this is going to be scrutinized and actually matter. I, I can think of like the dividend test is one that I've been pointing people to, which is like if an investor can keep your company from issuing a dividend, then that's that's pretend, the SBA thinks that's minority control. Yeah. And the reason but it's the kind of thing that every investor would always have in the investor rights agreement because you can't put a bunch of money into a company and then let the founder dividend the money out to themselves, right? Or everyone else. Like it would just, it's like defies logic. So to me, it's like, yes, I guess that maybe with SBA thinks, but like, it just seems like a basic part of governance. Like you just couldn't have, you, you need that in investor rights agreement. Yeah, totally. I, I just, yeah, I would emphasize that in a vacuum, these these are control elements, but in normal course venture deal making, these types of rights are are totally commonplace. And I think something that hopefully SBA and Congress uh, is is getting educated on that this is just how the entire venture in industry runs. I mean, this is this is not abnormal. So, I think what what helps is to throw in some more data that that we're tracking. The typical construct around these rights 
is is typically a simple majority. So a simple majority of the applicable stockholder base or event investor base can approve or waive these covenants. That's super helpful to know. Okay, yeah, cool. How that ties back to affiliation is if a single investor has that majority, I mean, they by they de facto have a right to control the business if, if some of these operational covenants are triggered. So that's, I think, where we're, we're just focusing in on the data. If you, if you take for granted that mo- most of the constructs for these rights do rely on a simple majority, there could be problems and companies are going to have to work with counsel to really analyze their protective provisions. But what our data is showing, so transactions where there are, there are multiple classes of stocks, so series ABC, Instances where a single investor owns more than 50% of that individual class, so 51% of the Series A, for example, it's about half of companies. So many companies have this construct, right? Like a lead investor leads the Series A, not crazy that that lead investor would own 51% of the class. If it's a $10 million deal, they might invest $7 million of the Series A. So our data is telling us that about 51% of companies have this existing in their in their cap table, right? They've got a single investor that controls a preferred class. So what that means is, you know, analysis, I think scrutiny will be placed on how these protective provisions are constructed. But in my series A, B, C example, if the C investor is a major investor in that round, took the major allocation of the series C um, investment, and they also have... These, these specific protective provisions that prohibit the company from doing certain activities, I mean, I think you, you really have an affiliation issue. And so you know, our data is just saying like there are, and it's not uncommon, but investors do take a, a majority position of the existing class. Yep. Yep. That is, that seems to be the test. Our, the cruise lawyer, the guy, the, he's, he's awesome. Ryan Chaining at SPZ. We were talking about that yesterday. So to, I just want to make sure I got it right. If an institutional investor has the majority of a single round, like a single share class, like Series C or Series B, does that mean that you're failing the affiliation test? Because I thought if it was if the company had just taken like seed or Series A, they might be okay. But is it is it like progressively get harder as you go through the rounds, or is it just any round that institutional investor controls? So it really ties into the the actual covenants themselves. So let, let's just look let's look at an example of a covenant that is is a very common covenant existing in most venture-backed companies that will cause an affiliation issue if a single fund has the right to control that covenant. And so like one to, to just to zero in on is, you already mentioned it, making, declaring, or paying distributions or dividends other than tax distributions. Yep. Yep. Highly standardized right that investors get. And so if you have, for example, let's just take a Series A company. If you've got a Series A company and there's a primary Series A investor, also not uncommon, there's just a single lead investor. So the, the Series yeah. A investor owns 100% of the class. Yeah. So, so I think by extension, that investor has control over that provision. So it's those types of covenants that are going to, going to be scrutinized. And I think the more that we look at this, it's going to, if you have instances where single funds have really have a de facto right over these provisions, we're going to have a problem. I, I think the same thing. I mean... I mean, first of all, the, the advice everyone should take away from this is talk to your lawyer and make sure your lawyer signs off that you are not, you're either okay, you're not okay. Because as a founder, you don't want to, you don't want to certify like the, the SBA and the banks are asking you to certify that you're compliant. And so if you certify and you know, you're not certain, you know, you're not compliant, there's a false claims act that could really get you in trouble. You just don't want to take money from the government. 
if you're not certain, I laugh, but it's like really true that you comply, you know, so your lawyer's your best friend. Omni's probably your second best friend in this or, or your, your VC firm is using Omni. That's actually the best because the VC firm can look in their dashboard and see what the, the control provisions are. And they can also see the ownership levels and things like that. Like it's kind of that easy, but someone needs to give you the, the clear go ahead or the clear, this isn't going to work. Yeah. And, and uh, I appreciate that, Scott. And, and I do want to leave you, I know we're keeping this podcast short, but I want to leave you with two other data points that are relevant yeah. for the affiliate test. So we talked about ownership of an individual preferred class. You know, another lens that I think is relevant that really just zeroes in on how much control a single fund has over a company is of the, of the preferred investors, the venture investors, how many companies have an investor that owns 50% of all the classes. So if you, if you add up the ABC shares, which invest, you know, are there investors that own 50, you know, a majority of that group of stock, which yeah. undoubtedly will have approval rights over these protective provisions. And our data is showing. Is that like on an as converted basis? Is that how I should think about that? Or you're saying own 50% of A, 50% of B, 50% of C? Yeah, I'm saying you add up the A shares, B shares, C shares, and you've, you've got an investor that either participated in one or all of those rounds, but combine all the shares and they hold a 51% ownership of, preferred. of all of the preferred. preferred. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so our data is showing that 15% of companies have this composition in their cap table. So I think one just quick interpretation of, of the data is that if really 51% of companies have a single investor that controls an individual class and 15% of companies have a single investor that controls 51% of all preferred classes, we're going to have some real issues with these affiliation tests. And I think a lot of startups are going to be disqualified and not able to take advantage of, of these SBA loans. So that is you know, why there's so many folks lobbying and trying to get clarity and interpretations on these rules. But um, just the, the nature of how ventures composed, it's, it's uh, going to be problematic. Yeah. And I was, I was interviewed by Ari Levy at CNBC yesterday, ran this morning, and I'm not, don't say it to my own horn, but like CNBC's top financial reporter in the Valley is asking these same exact questions. And, and he's the dude, the dude's super dialed in and super knowledgeable. And I had kind of the same answer as you is like, it's unfortunate. And I think the other takeaway is like, look, the government's essentially buying jobs here. Like that's, that's what they're doing. I a hundred percent agree with it. They're, do, they're effectively doing an equity injection into these companies. They're giving them money. They're, they're forgiving the loan. They're not taking equity ownership. So it's effectively like they're giving equity to these companies without the ownership, which is super positive. Like more debt wouldn't help, but this helps. And so sometimes people are like, well, why should venture capital companies be able to participate? But to me, I'm like, these jobs are just as valuable as other jobs. We're, we're trying to preserve jobs here. And so I, I'm super pro this. And I actually really like how the administration got the stuff out quickly. I wish the date on that sample application would have said April 10th instead of April 3rd, because I think they put way too much pressure on basically the entire country to get this in in four days. Um, and the banks are feeling it right now yeah. and it was unfair to the banks, but like, this is something that I, I do think venture capital backed companies should be able to participate in this because we're really just saving jobs here. That's what it's all about. Yeah, totally. I mean, Omni employs a, you've got a, a, an amazing workforce and, yeah. uh, I know there are many other companies and, and frankly, ecosystems that rely on the startup community. So uh, I certainly would like to see 
clarity around this. And I think giving some attention to the startup community would be extremely valuable uh, during these tough times. Yeah, I totally agree. And a quick plug for Omni, like if you're, if you're, you know, the GC at a venture fund or the CFO or COO, or even just like a partner, like this is a pretty awesome service. You should just, just, I would just go to the website and just look at the dashboard. Cause like, to me, if you have a lot of experience in venture, you're going to connect with this very quickly. Like there's, this is giving you the database and the analytics to know exactly what's happening in your portfolio and know exactly what the terms are in each deal. And it's moments like this where like, it's not even very expensive. And it's moments like this where you could be telling all your clients, all your portfolio companies, giving them perfect guidance. So I just think this is a service that every venture capital fund should be signing up for. It really, it really works. Yeah. And uh, to that point, I mean, our, our inboxes started lighting up this week from yeah, all of our, sure. our venture CF, our venture CFOs and general counsels. And so, yeah. uh, you know, our awesome engineering team responded and we generated this, this awesome report that gives, uh, has all of these data points responsive to the affiliation test and they can view it all in one, you know, one lens. So I love it. I love um, it. All right, man. Thank you for coming on at short notice. I I'm sorry. I pulled you off probably those sales calls. But I just felt like this was this is like the moment in time for Omni. It's like the ultimate validation of what you guys are doing. And you know, let's hope we don't have another pandemic uh, next year. But you know, it's you should have visibility into your portfolio. And it's awesome that you could also define some of these provisions and how they interplay. Because I think a lot of startup people, like I know, a lot of founders listen to this podcast. So this is gonna be really helpful for them too. Yeah, awesome, Scott. Well, wishing you and your family and your team the best and uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. We're good, we're safe. Cruise is kicking ass. I'm super proud of our team, so it's all good. Awesome. All right, man, I'll catch you. Thanks, Scott, bye-bye. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and friends, it's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Oh.